Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from I Could Never Believe in a God Who, our series in which we examine and respond to serious objections to Christianity. Here is Pastor Nick. It's suffering nonetheless, but that is explicable suffering. See, one of the reasons why there's suffering in the world is because we're broken people. We make mistakes. Sometimes we act selfishly in ways that hurt others or even ourselves. So that's explicable suffering. You can trace it. You can explain it. But there's another kind of suffering in the world, too. It's what we call inexplicable suffering. These are the things for which there doesn't seem to be any real point or explanation that you can point to and say, this is why this is happening. Just random accidents or, you know, somebody was right there and an earthquake hit. Or somebody like takes care of themselves really well physically, but then they get sick and die. And as much as you search for an explanation to try to trace it out, there isn't one. And some of the suffering in the world falls into this category, inexplicable suffering. And it's because not just us as humans, but the Bible says that all of creation is broken. It lies under the dark cloud of a curse. There are also two common responses to suffering. So there's two kinds of suffering. There's also two common responses. The first response you might call moralism. Moralism. Moralism basically says this. And this is a very common response, especially with uh, people you might categorize as religious. Moralism basically says this, if you do all the right things, then God will protect you and won't let bad things happen to you. In other words, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. So if you're a good person and you're doing all that God wants you to do, then God kind of, in a way, owes it to you to protect you from bad things happening to you. And it would say this, you know, if you're doing all the right things and God lets something bad happen to you, then you feel like he owes you an explanation because he hasn't kept up his end of the bargain. At least that's how you feel. Now think about this. This thinking, this moralistic thinking is inherent to the very question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Right? The idea there is that a good person is deserving of only good things and bad things shouldn't happen to them. You know, moralistic responses, uh, when my friend's baby died, people came up to them and said things like, well, you know why this happened. There must be some unconfessed sin in your life. Not very helpful, is it? Moralistic responses to suffering, sometimes we respond by saying, okay, I just need to double down. I need to read my Bible and pray, and I need to do more of this. I need to do more things for God. So you start reading your Bible. You start going to church regularly. You start doing these things, not really to encounter God per se, but really your primary motivation, or maybe it's a mixed motivation, you're trying to score some points with the big man upstairs, right? You're thinking that, hey, if God sees all the things I'm doing for him, then surely he will make everything go the way that I want it to go. Kind of like we think, you know, it's an I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back type of thing. But then when things don't turn out the way you wanted, what happens? People sometimes tend to get mad at God, right? They feel like God didn't hold up his end of the agreement, even though in reality, God never entered into that agreement in the first place. Moralism says, if I do this, then God will be obligated to not let me suffer. But guys, you know, moralism is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches emphatically against this kind of thinking, 
And if you read through the Bible, you'll find that there were actually many people who did exactly what God wanted them to do, and yet they didn't have smooth or easy lives. And maybe you would wonder, well then, look, if that's the case, if following God isn't going to provide me with an easy, smooth life, then what's the point of following God? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. The other common response uh, is not just moralism. The other, extreme is, the other extreme response, which is also very common, is cynicism. Cynicism is when you say, hey, look, life stinks, then you die. Suffering is random. Bad things just happen, and that's all there is to it. You don't need to over-spiritualize it. There's no need to find an explanation. There's no rhyme or reason to all of this. It's all just random, and you just need to get over it and move on. And the Bible says no. See, that's not it either. It's neither moralism nor cynicism. Rather, here's the deal. We live in a broken world where sin and death are realities, but where there is also a good and a sovereign God. And so suffering isn't just completely random, nor does it work in a moralistic way of earning and deserving. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, the story that we read here at the beginning, we have a story about a time when Jesus came face to face with the reality of human suffering, and we see how he responded. And there are three things we see in this story that give us great insight into the topic of suffering. The first is the delay. The first is the delay. So the story begins by telling us that one of Jesus' friends was sick. Jesus' friend was sick. His name was Lazarus. He was the brother of Mary and Martha, who were mentioned uh, in other places in the Bible because they were close personal friends of Jesus. They lived in a town called Bethany. Bethany is really a suburb of Jerusalem. It's literally within walking distance of downtown or the old city of Jerusalem. And so it seems like what happened was that whenever Jesus came to Jerusalem, he would stay at the house of these people, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It tells us in verse 3, the writer John, he goes out of his way to tell us something about Lazarus, and that is that Jesus loved him. In fact, that phrase is repeated three times in this short story, that Jesus loved these people. And that's really important because the fact that Jesus loved these people sheds an important light on this story. In order to understand what Jesus is doing here, you have to first understand this. You have to see it through this lens. Jesus loved these people. So everything he's going to do begins with that and ends with that, that Jesus loves these people. His actions were motivated by that love. And so it's the fact that Jesus loved these people which makes what he did next so surprising. In verse 3, Lazarus' sisters send a messenger to Jesus to tell him that Lazarus is sick and he might die. Now, now these guys, right, Mary and Martha, they've seen Jesus heal crowds of people. They've seen him heal strangers. If he did that for strangers, wouldn't he do that for a good friend? So they send a messenger, say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. We need you to come. There's a good chance that he's going to die. But if you come and heal him, that would be amazing. So Jesus gets the message. But look at what it says in verse 5 and 6. It says that Jesus loved them. And because he loved them, he purposefully didn't go right away. He purposefully delayed. Why? Because he loved them. But then as a result of his delay, Lazarus dies. Now think about this. Because of Jesus' delay, Lazarus died. Direct correlation. And Jesus knew that if he waited, that was going to happen. And yet he did it anyway. And it says that Jesus did it. Why? Because he loved Mary and Martha. That just doesn't, it's hard to wrap your mind around that, isn't it? You'd expect that if Jesus loved these people, then he would have jumped, he would have rushed to heal Lazarus, and yet that's not what he did. In fact, it says, again, because he loved them that he waited. 
His delay was tied to his love for them. For many of us, that's really hard to wrap our minds around because the way we tend to think is this. If God loves me and God can do anything, then surely he would want to save me and protect me from bad things happening to me. That's what these people thought too. But here's what we see in the story. Jesus had a purpose with allowing them to suffer. Let me say that again. Jesus had a purpose with allowing them to suffer. And that purpose was motivated by love. So the story goes on. We see that after a few days, Jesus finally goes to Bethany. It says in verse 17, when he gets there, Lazarus is now dead. In fact, he's super dead, right? He's been dead for a while. Uh, he, you know, we caught a fish yesterday with my kids and my daughter was like, oh no, we gotta get the fish home because he's getting more dead. And I'm like, no, he doesn't get more dead. He's just dead, that's it. So Lazarus is very dead at this point, right? Four days dead. And uh, he's in the tomb already. They already had the funeral, locked him up in there. And it says that when Jesus got near to Bethany, uh, Mary and Martha came to him and they both are saying the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And you can feel in those words, you can feel the pain, you can feel the disappointment, you can feel the confusion, maybe even the anger in these words. Because why? Because these guys can do math. Like they know how long ago Jesus received this message that their brother was sick and they know how long it takes to get from where Jesus was to where they live. So they can do the math and they can realize very quickly that Jesus did not rush to their aid, that Jesus did not come right away when he got the message, that he waited and because he waited, their brother died. And they ask him, Jesus, what, what, what is this? Why would you do that? You could have prevented this from happening and you didn't. If you really love us, then why did you let this happen to us? Haven't we done everything right? Haven't we done so much for you? Jesus, we believe in you. We follow you. We put you up in our house. Why, Jesus? We asked you to come we, and you didn't do what we asked you to do. You could have prevented this. See, here's the deal. Sometimes, like Mary and Martha, we cry out to Jesus in our tears and he does not come. Sometimes, even though he loves us, and sometimes because he loves us, he allows us to experience painful and difficult things. This story shows us that it's sometimes because he loves us that he allows these things. So how could this delay, how could this suffering be good in any way? How could this be loving in any possible way? It all seems so unnecessary. But as we will see, there are actually several loving reasons why Jesus allowed this. Even though Mary and Martha couldn't comprehend that, they couldn't see that in the moment. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, 
facing nine common barriers to Christianity. Wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. Let's go on and let's look at the next thing. The next thing is the response. We read in verse 33 that when Jesus arrived, Mary fell down at his feet and she began weeping. And it says that Jesus looked around and he saw other people weeping and mourning the loss of their brother and their friend. And here's the thing. This is what happens when somebody dies. You might say, well, Lazarus is in a better place. Maybe, but guess what? We're still left behind without him, aren't we? You know what that's like when you've lost somebody. It's one thing to know that they're in a better place, but it's another thing to say, yeah, but I still don't have them in my life, and that hurts. And it says there in verse 33 that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There are Bible scholars and linguists who have looked at this passage, and they've pointed out that these two phrases, deeply moved and greatly troubled, they indicate a mixture of two emotions. On the one hand, anger, and on the other hand, sadness. Anger and sadness. Jesus looked at this situation and it filled him with two emotions, anger and sadness. And here in these verses, we see Jesus coming face to face with the reality of human suffering, sickness, and death. And here's his reaction. On the one hand, he's angry. And on the other hand, he's sad to the point of weeping. Now you might say, well, wait a second. Jesus is the one who decided to not come, right? Like he could have come and he didn't. He chose to come. Why is he, he chose to delay. Why is he crying? Why is he angry? He allowed this to happen. Is he feeling regret over his decision? I would suggest it's not regret at all. In order to understand what's going on here, you have to understand who Jesus is. In the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus... John, the writer, introduced us to Jesus. And how did he introduce us? He told us two things about Jesus. First of all, he said he is the creator of the world. Jesus is God come to us. He's the creator. Not only is he creator, the second thing he told us, he's also the savior of the world. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus coming face to face with human suffering, with our suffering. And this expression uh, in his face that we see with him is anger and the sadness. It's an expression of how God feels about the evil and suffering in this world. He isn't cold or indifferent. He's not emotionally aloof. No, God looks at the world. He sees our suffering. He sees our pain and our tears and he weeps over it and he's upset by it. Do you know that? That God weeps with you in, in your tears? Here is Jesus, the creator, come to the creation and his heart is broken by what he sees. He's upset because he remembers how it was, how it used to be, death and suffering and tears and pain. That wasn't the design. And he's looking at this world and what has happened because of sin and he's sad, he's upset and he weeps. And you know what? God weeps with you in your suffering. He's upset by the things that upset you. He sees those tears. He cares for you. He's bothered by the things that bother you deeply, and he weeps over it with you. And here's what's especially interesting about this reaction. Now, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, here's what's, here's what's going to happen. In like 10 minutes from now, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Very cool, amazing miracle, but think about it. If Jesus knows that in 10 minutes' time he's going to raise this guy from the dead, he's not weeping over the loss of Lazarus. 
Because he's going to see him again in 10 minutes, and he's like the only one who knows that. So what is Jesus weeping over? He's weeping not over the loss of Lazarus. He's weeping over the pain and suffering that he sees in the world. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't just weep with us in our tears. He doesn't just weep over the state of affairs here on earth, but he did something about it. That's the good news, guys. He did something in order to put an end to the suffering and death in this world once and for all. And that brings us to the next thing we see in the story, which is the promise. Jesus is talking to Martha in verse 23, and he makes her a promise. He says, Martha, your brother will rise again. And then he goes on to explain, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's making her a promise. Yes, he could have come earlier and healed her brother. And they wouldn't have had to go through any of this. But there's something bigger, there's something better that Jesus is pointing to and promising than not having any suffering or hardship in this life. See, what Martha needs, what all of us need, is a hope which goes beyond this life. We don't just need a Band-Aid on the pain that we feel. We need a solution, and that's what he offers us here. See, because here's the thing. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, which is amazing. It's great. But you know what? In a few years' time, Lazarus is going to die again, and Jesus isn't going to be there to raise him that time, is he? Lazarus isn't around today. He died and he's still dead. In other words, if Jesus heals Lazarus, even if Jesus resurrects Lazarus, that's just a temporary fix. It's a Band-Aid. What Lazarus really needs, what all of us really need, is not just a Band-Aid. We need a real fix. We need a real solution. And Jesus is telling Martha, he has come to be that solution. He himself is that solution. He came to put an end to all sickness, all suffering, all death forever. That is the promise. And he will give that gift to anyone who will receive it by faith in him. That's the promise, that through him you can experience the end of all suffering once and for all. Because Jesus came, and not long after this story, Jesus suffered, he died, he was crucified on a cross, and through his death he defeated sin, death, and the devil forever. And the Bible tells us so vividly in Revelation, right, that the day is coming when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes, and there will be no more sickness and no more death forever. That's the promise, and Jesus makes it clear here to Martha that who does that promise belong to? It belongs to all who believe. What does it mean to believe? That word believe, it doesn't just mean to nod your head or assent to say hypothetically that something's true. No, this word believe, it means this, to trust in, to rely on, to cling to. And the promise of the gospel is that because of what Jesus did for you in his sinless life, in his sacrificial death, in his victorious resurrection, you can be forgiven you can be redeemed, and you can experience life with God where there will be no more suffering, death, forever. And by trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus and what he did for you, you can take hold of that promise. And that brings us to where we end, which is this, the big question. The big question. You know what the big question is? What is the goal and the purpose of your life? Ask yourself that. What is your goal in life? What is your purpose in life? That's the question you need to ask, and it changes everything, and here's why. Because, look, if your goal and your purpose, like many people, is just to have a comfortable life and get through life without too many difficulties, if that's your goal, if that's your purpose in life, you will always view suffering as an unwelcome intrusion, 
It will be a distraction. It will always take you away from the goal and purpose of your life, which is to be comfortable and not have problems. On the other hand, though, if your life actually has a bigger purpose than that, which I hope it does, guys. I hope it does. If your life has a bigger purpose than just being comfortable and not having too many problems and just getting by, if your life has a real purpose, if you have a real mission that is bigger than just you, then can suffering have value? Absolutely. If the purpose and meaning and goal of your life beyond just having a mission is a specific mission, if it is to have fellowship with God and to be used by God to accomplish his purposes in the world, then can suffering have value? Without question, yes. Even here in the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, notice what came about as a result of this suffering. Jesus allowed this suffering. What was the result? A dialogue, a relationship, connection with Jesus, growth, growth in hope, and the hope of the ultimate hope, the gospel. Dads, how many of you have held your babies or your toddlers in a strange, sterile room while a stranger took a needle and stabbed it into their healthy little flesh. You know the look on their face. Do you know that look where they look at you and they're like, they feel so betrayed. You're just holding them. You let the doctor stab them and they're like, what? I thought I could trust you. I thought you loved me. That's that look of shock and horror in their eyes when they get stabbed with the needle and you're holding them. How could you allow that person to do that thing to me? And you know as a dad that in their little baby mind, their infant mind or their toddler mind, they can't comprehend what you know and why you allowed that to happen. That the reason you're allowing that to happen, the reason you're letting them experience pain is precisely because you love them. You're letting them suffer the pain of the needle now in order to save them from the future of disease. Think about parents whose children have cancer and they make the hard decision to allow their children to essentially be poisoned by doctors with drugs that make their hair fall out, make them vomit, make them have to be laid up in hospitals for weeks, even months. Why do they do that? Why do they sign off on that? Because even though the pain is bitter, it will save their child's life. See, the promise of the gospel is that the day is coming when sin and suffering and death will end forever for those who cling to Jesus. And yet, there are ways in which God, in his love, uses suffering in our lives to accomplish good things. I've got six things. I'm just gonna run you through them and we'll be done. Here are six ways in which we see in the Bible that God uses suffering in good ways in people's lives. Number one, God uses suffering to draw people to himself. Think about the prodigal son. It's when he is hungry and dirty and broke that he decides to return to the father's house. There are a lot of people who only turn to God when things get hard. And so God says, if that's the case, then so be it that you would turn to me. Secondly, God uses suffering to produce humility in us. And we know that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So it's a good thing for us to have humility. Third, God allows suffering to build perseverance, character, and hope within us. Fourth, God allows suffering to help you develop kindness and compassion and empathy for other people. Fifth, God uses suffering to advance the gospel. Think of what Paul wrote to the Philippians. The things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel. And six, God can use suffering in your life to bring glory to himself and good for you. I'll tell you this. You know what's the deal? Some people say, well, 
I'm gonna turn my back on God because of all the suffering I see in the world. Guess what? You turn your back on God because of all the suffering in the world, does that cause the suffering to stop? No, of course not. But here's the thing, if you turn to Jesus, then one day the suffering will stop. That's the promise of the gospel. That one day you will suffer no more. Jesus came, he suffered, so that through him suffering would end. And in him, your suffering now can have purpose and value. It can be redeemed for your good and for the good of others. The promise is for you as you trust in and cling to and rely on Jesus and what he did for you. Amen. Lord, as we consider these things, they're not things that we take lightly. They're, they're very uh, personal to us, Lord. They're very, very serious things. But Lord, we thank you that you suffered so that one day suffering would end. And we look forward to that day and we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. May, they, may your kingdom come. But in however much time we have now, Lord, use us in this world uh, for your glory. And Lord, may we just be totally availed to you and say whatever it is that you want me to do. Here I am, send me, use me. Let me be a penny in your pocket for you to spend how and where you please. We pray all this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.